All right, good evening, everybody. Tonight, if you want to turn your Bibles to Genesis 16, right? Yes. And 17. We'll get through these two very interesting chapters with Ishmael and Hagar and the whole promise. Let's pray before we get started. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can spend some time together tonight and study. We have the freedom to do so, to gather and to open your word and to read it and to do it in peace. And we're very grateful for that. We pray that for the whole world, Lord, that they would have that opportunity to do that. We know that most don't. Many are persecuted because they own a Bible or because they believe on you. And so we pray for them tonight and lift them up to you, that wherever they are, wherever they're huddled, um, whatever opportunities they have to study your word, we pray that you'd bless it richly, that they grow in you, um, be comforted by you, and um, Lord, we lift them up to you in prayer. But we thank you for our freedom, in Jesus' name, amen. Abram's been promised a son, an heir. His concern was that all of his stuff is great, glad he got stuff from Egypt, glad he got stuff as he moved around the desert in the promised land, walking here and there. But to leave it to a, a, a son of a slave was of no value to him. It was disappointing to him that um, he had no offspring. It took him a while to get to the promised land. And I guess we have to start there. It took him a while to get to where God had told him to go. He'd gotten halfway there. Remember the story. His dad stopped him halfway there. But once his dad had passed on, he moved all the way into the promised land. There was an understanding in Jewish tradition that Sarai, which is her name at this time, it'll get changed tonight to Sarah, but for now it's Sarai, felt responsible, felt it was her fault that they didn't have kids. This is some sort of punishment upon them by God for not being obedient to begin with. And we can do that to ourselves thinking we didn't move fast enough or we went in the wrong direction or whatever. And hopefully tonight's story will help us a little bit in that area to get our hearts and our our minds right. When it comes to our God that we worship, to have a correct view of him, I think every parent can appreciate that. We want our kids to understand our heart for them, that what we say or what we do is for them. It's not against them. Now, not every parent was like that or is like that. I understand that, but hopefully I'm preaching to the choir here. That as a parent, you want what's best for your kids. You encourage them. You build them up. You want to find out what God has for them. And then you want to nurture that in them and allow them to grow into what God wants them to be. And that's our heart. We want our kids to know that. Certainly, that's our Father's heart towards us. A couple times in the Bible, we'll see this twice tonight. God changes the names of people. Not to who they are, but to who they're going to be. We know that we have that promise ourselves that God has given us a new name. We don't know what it is yet. It's written on a white stone. It's some kind of cryptic, cool mystery thing we're going to find out when we get into heaven, and I'm excited for it. I don't know what my name's going to be, but he's got a new name for us. And I wonder why he doesn't tell us now. And this is probably why. In verse 1 of chapter 16, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid, 
Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife after Abram had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan. So he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Right off the bat, we can see here that Sarah is trying to, in in her flesh, help God with the promise that he made to Abram. Abram was told he's going to have a kid. Sarah believes she's the problem. She said so. God's restraining me from having children. It's because of me you can't have this promise that God gave you. She's taking it on herself. The Bible tells us we have three adversaries. We like to focus on the devil. The devil, you know, that devil. We're going to stomp the devil. We have songs about that. We have, we have entire services where that's what we're going to do tonight is stomp the devil. But our biggest problem is ourselves. It's the flesh. The flesh is what takes after and goes after the bait that Satan puts out there for us. Yes, certainly we do have an enemy and he's roaring about and wanting to devour every one of us. Make no mistake about that, but he can only lure us with bait, throwing stuff out for us to chew on, to get our flesh interested in and cause us to go after these things. And as a Christian who's supposed to be walking in the spirit, walking by faith, oftentimes Satan throws out bait and we bite but it's our flesh that's the problem. The world, the flesh, and the devil, those are our three enemies, but our flesh is the one that's always there. And this is an example of Sarah and her flesh. Yeah, I know. I believe in God. I trust God. I believe God, but I'm the problem. He's with train. We need to do something. Helping God out with his plan. God doesn't need any help, nor do we want to worship a God that needs our help. Okay? I'm just throwing that out there. If God's got this great plan, but isn't sure he can accomplish it unless I do something about it, then we've got a big problem if he's relying on me to fulfill his promises. That is the whole problem with the Old Testament. Us trying to fulfill that part of the bargain. We can't. So Sarah says, it's me. It's me. I've got this idea. Take this Hagar. Now, Hagar was picked up in Egypt. Remember, when the famine hit or when there was difficulties, they went down there. Not a a good move. And Egypt always represents the world in Scripture. And so instead of trusting in God to provide for them and take care of them where they were, they headed down to Egypt, and they got taken care of. But in the process of going into the world, they found themselves not walking honestly with God, lying that she was his sister and so on, getting them into big trouble. Until finally they figured it out that Sarah was not his sister, but actually his wife. And you need to get out of here, but take everything with you. And Hagar would have been part of that spoil. Now, think about Hagar's position there. I mean, if you're going to be a slave, not ideal, obviously. But would you rather be a slave in Egypt or in the middle of nowhere in a tent with some guy? Probably Egypt is my guess. Well, we'll see her heart here later on. Well, we just read it, but we'll get into it here in a minute. So Sarah says, why don't you take Hagar and have a surrogate child by her? We do that. We have surrogates. Um, Some women can't have children or fertility problems or issues. And so um, we go ahead and find a surrogate and we inseminate and we do the whole thing there. 
this is what that is and, and, and all. Well, we have a similar situation when in Genesis 33, when uh, Jacob is offered um, Bilhah, the, the wife. He says this in Genesis 33. So she said, here's my maid Bilhah, go into her and she will bear a child on my knees that I also may have children by her. And sometimes physically they would actually do that during the whole act. And we're not going to go into details tonight about that, but there'd be, well, there'd be three people there. Let's leave it at that. So although there is a rented womb, so to speak, the child inside is actually going to be Sarai's or that's how it's understood here. So see if that'll help. Let's do that. Let's obtain children by her. I'm the problem. Turns out he did have a child with her. Now that is not something that she was hoping for. Although she said it, she's not happy that it was confirmed. Because until this happened, until conception was taking place here, uh, it could have been either one of them. Abram heeded the voice of Sarah, relegating the spiritual leadership to her, following her advice, not doing what he was supposed to be doing, not leading his family in the correct way, not saying to his wife, no, Sarah, it's us. God's promise was to us, is what he should have said. But he gives up his authority to his wife and says, okay, I'll do this. And he shouldn't have. So they do have the baby. They've been here for 10 years, and this is where we get that. They've been in the promised land for 10 years, and it hasn't happened yet. That's a long time to wait for any kind of promise. 10 years. It's possible that they were three years away from it actually coming to pass. And we'll discuss that here in a minute, but they just need to wait three more years. But it's 10 years has gone by, and so they do this. And when Hagar has this baby, this Egyptian servant girl has this child, she all of a sudden gets a little prideful about it because, as we've read in this Old Testament several times, women without children were considered less. In fact, on Sunday morning when we were going over the Christmas story, even John the Baptist's mom was considered less. And she knew that. She had to deal with that her whole life. And when she finally had John the Baptist, when she finally had that boy, she said, my reproach is taken away from me. It's just the way it is. Maybe not said out loud, maybe she was a wonderful lady, but behind her back and there were whispers and looks and understandings that she was less of a woman because she didn't have children. Of course, that's untrue, but culturally that's how it was. So when Hagar conceives and Sarai didn't, everybody knows whose fault it is and she started walking around like, and she got haughty is the word we use and despised her mistress or her or Sarah and uh, she despised Sarah. So, verse 5, Then Sarai said to Abram, My wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between you and me. So Abram said to Sarai, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. Now, I don't know what that means to deal harshly with her. Probably beat her, you know. Grabbed a stick and started at her. Now, Hagar brought it on. I mean, there's a whole lot of mess going on here. And, and th- let's focus on that a little bit before we move on in the story. It gets really messy from here on out. Nothing good comes of this situation right here. And anytime our flesh gets in the way and our sin 
um, becomes a reality in our life, not just a thought, not just an inclination, but we actually follow through on that sin, things get messy and very, very complicated. And we make do and try to get through it the best we can. And a lot of you know what that's like, to have baggage to have things that you can't undo. There's things in the past that just can't be undone. It's just part of who I am now. Accept it or don't accept it, but this is where we are. And it gets messy and it's difficult. But by God's grace and with love and forgiveness and mercy in our hearts, we can move forward. We don't have to be paralyzed by those things. The best thing you can do is to accept it. Hey, that was sin in my life. Own it. Acknowledge it and move forward. Abraham does the right thing and the wrong thing at the exact same time. He takes Sarah's side as he should. That's his wife. He should support her. On the other hand, he doesn't do it himself. He doesn't deal with her and say, you need to start respecting my wife, regardless of whose child this is. I mean, there's this us and her mentality right now in this tent or in this home, and it's wrong. So he says, go ahead and do with her whatever you want to, when he should have been the one to do something about it. And yet he did side with his wife at the same time. So you've got a a mixed bag here. This baby that's to be born will be named Ishmael, and this is the father of all the Arab nations. They're still dealing with this problem. All the Arab nations all come from Ishmael, and they're focused on one nation. Guess which nation? Israel, which is the founder's name is Jacob, who comes from Isaac, who is going to be the actual promised child. Every Middle East problem we have today starts right here in chapter 16 of Genesis. And we're still dealing with it today. It's amazing how long lasting one stupid mistake in our past, how it manifests itself over and over and over again. And you You kind of wish you could escape it, but there it is. It's there all the time. So she runs from this situation. I'm not going to get beat, she says. So she runs away from the situation instead of staying in it. And that's our tendency. It's difficult. Run. I mean, I'd just rather not deal with the situation at all. Let's just go. Let's get out of here. Now the angel of the Lord found her by the spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. And the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply. The angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you're with child. You shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all of his brethren. And she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are the God who sees. For she said, have I also seen him who sees me? Therefore, the well was called Bir Lehi Roi. Observe, it is between Kadesh and Bered. In other words, it's still there to this day as of the writing of this book. So Hagar bore Abram a son. 
And Abram named the son, his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. I, I, we got through that chapter pretty quick. Um, this angel of the Lord, it's the first time we see that. Notice it's capitalized. Capital A. This is not a angel or an angel sent by God. This is the angel of the Lord capitalized. We believe this is Jesus in the Old Testament. We also see the eyewitness, the only person to be here at the time, also called this angel God. This is the God who sees. So she agrees that this is him. The one who sees me and always sees me, and I'm seeing him for the first time. Now we know from Scripture that no man has seen the Father, right? Nor can we see the Father, but we can see the Son. We can. He's the expressed image of the Father, and so we believe that's who this is in the Old Testament. Jesus showing up and encouraging her. Encouraging her. Don't run away from this. I want you to go back to her, and I want you to submit to her hand. And she does. That's pretty obedient. That's a, I mean, of course, if you saw an angel by the, well, it told you to do something, I suppose you'd do it too. I know I would. But he asked her to do something pretty tough. Go back to that woman who was beating you and submit to her hand. So she goes back and must have told the story because right away we see that the baby's born and, and they name him the name that was given to her by the angel. They must have been surprised to see her come back. I bet Sarah wasn't real happy she was coming back. Maybe thought she was gone for good. Sometimes that's how we feel about things. Let's just get rid of it altogether. But she walks back and obeys God's command to her. Must have told him the story. I was out there. I was running. I wasn't coming back. And he showed up and told me to name this baby Ishmael. He's going to be, many nations are going to come from me. And they said, we believe you, apparently. And they went ahead and did it and named the child Ishmael. Now, chapter 17, when Abram was 99 years old, you do the math, we got a 13-year gap between 16 and 17. So either the promise was going to be 23 years away or the clock started again. Depends on how you look at it. We don't know. All we know is it's going to be 23 years from when Abraham first got his promise that he's going to have an heir until the actual heir is born. And that's a long time to wait. But as we go through scripture and we see many of these guys, whether that's Jacob or whether that's a lot of these guys trying to help God out with his promises, we see the clock starting over and it sets them back. And they have to wait and walk forward and move forward. And it's like, okay, nope, nope, you got ahead of me. Okay, let's start again. God is trying to make Abram, who is going to be the father of faith, but isn't yet. And he's got to take him through certain steps to make him the father of faith. And part of teaching us faith is waiting on God. We have to wait on the Lord. That's how we learn to walk by faith. And if you want to be a great man or woman of faith, you've got to be a really good patient waiter. Waiting on the Lord. It's not like he just gives it. Oh, Lord, increase my faith. Okay. And I'm not saying that. Don't be careful what you pray for. No, absolutely pray for that. But then understand what it takes to create that in you. To make you a great woman or a great man of faith. It means waiting a long time. It means laboring in prayer. It means trusting God. 
It means walking through the mundane steps of life day after day, day after day, trusting that he's going to accomplish what he was going to do and just waiting on him to do it with happiness, with gladness, without doubting. 13 years passed between 16 and 17. Possibly they were three years away when this first chapter 16 started and all they had to wait was another three years and Isaac would have been born or it was truly a 23-year wait for the promise to be fulfilled. Now, I lean towards the 23 years, and I'll tell you why. Because I believe that it needed to be absolutely physically impossible for them to have a child. That's my guess. I think God wanted to make sure everybody knew this wasn't a normal baby. I'm going to wait till you're, I don't know, almost 100. You know, On your 99th birthday... That's when. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall you, your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made, thank goodness, because I I keep messing his name up, so I'm glad we're here. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger. All the land of Canaan is an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Do you know what Abram means? All the Bible names mean something, right? They just do, you know. Um, So there's a little one beside that word Abram. So if you go over there to your center column reference, verse 5 of chapter 17, the the first little one there says this, exalted father. For 99 years, Abram's been called, hey, exalted father, exalted father, and he's got no kids. How ironic, right? Hey, you're the exalted father over there. (laughs) Everybody's giggling when they say that, you know? And so when he gets the opportunity to change his name, I love this about our Lord. He says, not only are you going to be called the exalted father, I'm going to call you Abraham, which means the father of many nations. He goes the wrong way. God takes Abram the wrong way. How about I change your name to really great guy with no kids? That would be the way I would go. Can we just get rid of this name so people don't laugh at me every time they call me the exalted father since I have no kids? He goes, no, I got a better idea. How about I call you? So he comes out and says, God's changed my name to the father of many nations. Did he now? Abram's done, lost his mind, everybody thought in the tents around him. Probably, maybe not. God calls us what we're going to be, not who we are. The scriptures tell us that we look in a mirror dimly. I don't think I've ever understood that verse till tonight when I was studying for this. We look in a mirror dimly. You know that Corinthians verse? I didn't even look it up. I just, it came to me while I was studying. I'm like, we look in a mirror dimly. We see in a mirror dimly what we're going to be. A mirror shows a reflection of us, not a reflection of him. 
We look in a mirror dimly and we look as hard as we can. I'm a born again believer in Jesus. Boy, I don't look like one. I don't even know. Is he there? You know, some days vaguely, just this vague picture of what I'm supposed to look like because I'm supposed to be reflecting Christ, but I sure don't see a lot of him. Maybe the eyebrows. I don't know. You know, but then it goes on to say, but when he, when that which is perfect is calm, we're going to see him face to face. And it makes my heart filled up with joy when I see, think about that. I think about how I see myself and I see how he, but that's not how he sees me. He sees me. He sees you as a born again believer. Like you are just like Jesus Christ. He sees you justified. He sees you perfect. He sees who you're going to be. He sees the end result. He treats you like you're the end result already. And when I look in the mirror and I can't figure out why he's so gracious to me and loving to me, how he gives me peace in my heart. And I look in the mirror and I'm saying, I don't know what you're seeing, but I ain't seeing that. But we, Paul say, we look in a mirror and we see it like veiled faces. It's just dim. But God sees us as we are. I don't know what that white stone says about me. I don't know the name that I have, but he's already named me that. And he sees me like that name, whatever that name means, you know, to him, because he gives it to me. Be encouraged by that tonight. I hope you're encouraged tonight. No matter what kind of week you've had, no matter what kind of life you're leading or what kind of trials you've been going through or seasons you've been going through, And you're looking in the mirror some mornings and just saying, I don't know if I see a whole lot of that Christian I used to be anymore or whatever it is. I don't know where you're at. Maybe you woke up thinking, I'm getting better. Great. Maybe you woke up and you thought, I don't know if I'm walking closer or further away. Please know this. Your father sees you as you're going to be. Treats you like that and is bringing you there. Stay on board with him. Just stay as close as you can to him. What do you do about this Hagar situation? What do I do about all the Hagars in my life? Not that I've had a bunch of women, don't misunderstand me. But all the fleshy things I've ever done in my life thinking I'm helping God out. What do I do with all those things? Well, you turn them over to the Lord. He looks at this situation who he had nothing to do with to begin with, inserts himself into the situation and brings out this beautiful thing. I'm gonna, he's going to be a wild man. But many nations, I want you to go back to her and I want you to submit yourself to her. 99 years old, I'm going to fulfill that promise. I'm reminding you of that. I'm changing your name tonight to Abraham. Verse 9, and God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant. You and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you. And your descendants after you, every male child among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. And it shall be a sign of a covenant between me and you. And he who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male child in your generations, he who is born in your house or bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant, he who is born in your house and he who is bought with, the, with your money must be circumcised and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uh, uncircumcised male child 
who is not circumcised in the flesh of the foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. That's the badge that you wear. If God is your God, if you choose him to be your God, then this is what it looks like. This is what needs to be done. And this is for Abraham and for his descendants and all those in his household. This has to be happy. If, he's, if I'm going to be your God, this is, and we've taken that on as a culture, um, that that's what we do for the most part. Um, but it isn't necessary anymore. That's not something we're a part of anymore, just so you understand that. Um, I'll give you some scriptures so you don't think it's, well, where are you coming up with that? Well, Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 through 12. In him, Jesus, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of sins, of the sins of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through the faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. It's symbolic. If you came to Christ, you've been circumcised by Christ. The flesh of the foreskin of your heart has been changed. What happens here eventually is circumcision becomes the faith. Circumcision was always meant to be an outward expression of your faith in God, but it becomes the focus. I've been circumcised, therefore I am holy. No, no, no. You believe in God, therefore you get circumcised. It's, 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 it's different. And Jesus calls them out on that. He says, you guys, you know, you say you're this, you look like this, but you're not because I'm not your God. You've just got this extra piece of skin removed, but doesn't mean anything because you're not his. Um, and so he calls him on that. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love. It's about the heart. Now, Paul made the connection there in Colossians between circumcision and baptism, and we do need to treat them the same way. It doesn't do any good to be baptized. Your baptism does not make you saved. Never has. It's always been a product of your salvation. It's always been a result of it. And many people who've been baptized who think my baptismal certificate is my golden ticket into Willy Wonka's palace, and it's not the case. You're not getting there because of that. You have to have faith in Christ to be baptized. That's the idea. Um, so that being said, this is what he's called them to do. I want you to have this faith in me, to trust in me, and you're going to get circumcised. And this is going to be the evidence of that walk with me, that I'm your God and you're my people. This is the badge that you wear. Verse 15, then God said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarah, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her. And she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples shall be from her. Exciting. I'm going to use your wife. It's always been your wife. It's always been you, Abraham. It's never been Hagar. It's never been that situation. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90, 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to uh, said to God, oh, that Ishmael may live before you. Yeah, kind of ruins the moment here, you know. Now, he's not laughing. Don't make the mistake saying it can't be done. This isn't a laughter of disbelief. It's more of, I can't believe it. Am I really going to have a baby? Wow. And we get that from Romans chapter 4, 
verses 17 through 8 or 17 through 21, when Paul writes about this situation, he says, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did who contrary to hope in hope believed so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken. So shall your descendants be and not being weak in faith. He did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able to perform. So that's the correct. If you ever wonder about how, how do I interpret the Old Testament? You let the New Testament interpret the Old Testament. Paul says he didn't waver in his faith. He didn't doubt. He didn't consider himself or her He considered God's promises, and we have to do that also as believers. I can't consider my abilities. I can't consider my skill or my my talents when it comes to what God wants to do. I have to consider who said is going to do it. You know? The word faith movement has it kind of backwards. They say if you just say it, you can speak it, and it'll happen. Well, no, it's not that. It's not that I said something. It's who said it. When God says these things can happen, you're going to have a baby and you're going to have a baby, even though you're not supposed to be able to have babies naturally. Abraham says, well, of course you can do that. And he laughed at the idea. That's amazing. But he also says, oh, that Ishmael may live before you. Please let the fleshy thing I did live. Now, God has already taken care of the fleshy thing. He brings it up again. And he shouldn't. God's already handled this. God said, I'm going to do something separate. It was a flesh thing. It was birthed out of the flesh, and it's going to have fleshy consequences its entire life. You know, let's not let this live again, Abraham. Let's do what I promised I wanted to do. This was a mistake, and I've contained it to some degree and blessed it or let it have its own life of its own. Fine. But this is something new that I'm doing over here. And let's let it be what I've always wanted it to be. This is the promise. This is the direction I was headed. This is what I had said I would do. Not that. And Abraham's saying, can't can't you make this work? Can't you work this into your plan? You know? No. I'm doing something different. Then God said, no. And ladies, please pick up on this. No, because it doesn't include your wife. Buddy, it doesn't include your wife. I don't think he's even considered that. Can't we just make this Hagar thing work? I don't know. Let's ask Sarah if I should make this Hagar thing work. You know? That's the first thing he says. He says, no, Sarah. You forgot Sarah in this process. Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, which means, anybody know? Laughter. So every time you call him, you know, hey, laughter. Oh, yeah, that's right. We laughed. You know, hey, laughter. You're going to call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting, excuse me, covenant. And with his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him. And I will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. And he will have 
Uh, he will, he will, be, he will beget, or he shall beget twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac. I've got that covered already. Let's let that go. You need to let that go. You need to focus on what's God's, what I'm doing now. What am I doing today? What's going on here? Focus on that. And I just love that. First two words out of God's mouth after Abraham's suggestion is, no, Sarah. Mm-mm. I want her involved in this. It's always been about her too. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this set time next year. Then he finished talking with him, and God went up from Abraham. So Abraham took Ishmael, his son, all who were born in his house, and all who were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abram's house, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very same day, as God had said to him. Now that's obedience. I imagine there were some questions from everybody else that didn't hear this. We're going to do what today? Line up, boys. Uh, <laughs> uh, I won't do it. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. He was the first one in line. Got to lead by example. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That means what? That means that you can have a relationship with God too, Ishmael. You can walk with the Lord too, Ishmael. You can. It's up to you whether you have that decision, if you make that decision to follow him. Ishmael was not excluded. He was included. He could have had. They still can and are. Many in the Arab world are coming to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And some through missionaries, but some not through missionaries. Some through divine appointments, some through visits, like these kind of visits right here that we're discussing with Abraham, the kind that uh, Hagar even had, moments with the true and living God out there. Interesting stuff. Hard to corroborate, hard to figure out whether it's true or not, but it's obviously God didn't need to consult me. (laughs) He can do what he wants. But it's interesting to see because the salvation is genuine. They're asking for Bibles. They're walking with the Lord. Things are changing. It's an amazing awakening that's taking place. And, and by the way, Iran is ecstatic that that guy is dead. The people of Iran are ecstatic that he's gone. He was a crazy man who would torture and rape them. He was nuts. And they are very happy that he's gone. But they can't show it because... Well, there's still some guys around. That very same day, Abraham was circumcised in his son Ishmael and all the men of his house, born in the house or bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with them. So they do it. They follow through. Amazing. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for this, uh, well, great lesson for us, Lord. We say we want to walk in the Spirit. We say we want to be great men and women of faith. We've trusted you for salvation, and we have it. We've believed on your Son, Jesus. But we also want to walk in this world worthy of that calling, worthy of that people would recognize it and see it. And um, like as people were able to watch Abraham and his walk with you, that they would be able to follow him. And we want people to be able to follow us. We don't want to have to tell our kids or the people around us, hey, don't Uh, you know, do as I say, not as I do. We don't want to be those kind of Christians. 
I want to be the guy with the bumper sticker on the back that says I'm not perfect, I'm forgiven. I know that's true, but I don't want that to be the excuse for me being fleshy. So God, help us to push those appetites, that flesh down, to walk in the Spirit. Help us to wait for your promises, to let that beautiful, miraculous work take birth in our lives, Lord, and to show itself. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come on up. We'll be glad to pray with you.